between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world. Hither came Conan, the Cimmerian, sword in hand. It is I, his chronicler, who knows well his saga. Now let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Welcome back to Hither Came Conan. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and today I want to do something a little different. See, a few weeks back, I got an email from a listener, and, uh, well, I'll tell you what, let me just read you the email. It goes a little something like this. I've been a Conan fan from back in the mid-80s, introduced to the novels from a friend, and I ended up reading the original novel series plus some of Robert Jordan's works. Not as good as the originals, but still entertaining. I also followed a lot of the Marvel work, loving the art in the Savage Sword series. I have a major stack of them in my collection, dating back to the mid-80s into the 90s. Occasionally, I scan podcasts to see if anyone has touched on Conan, hoping to find someone reading the entire series. Alas, no such luck as of yet. However, I did come across your content. Not what I was hoping for, but it is still nice to hear from another fan. Keep up the great work, and I will continue to listen. Thank you, Robin. Enough talk! All right, so here's the thing. I've actually been toying with the idea of doing episodes going through all the comics in order, starting with issue number one of the Marvel books from back in the 70s. And after reading Robin's email, thank you for that, Robin, by the way, I figured, what the heck? Just go ahead and do it. So. That's what I'm going to do. Now, with that said, I will still be doing episodes in which I talk about one of the original Robert E. Howard stories and compare it to the various comic book adaptations. And the next one that's on the schedule is The Tower of the Elephant. And I figured I'd try to do those every month or so. But in the meantime, between those episodes, we could start going through the comics in order, one issue at a time. But before we get into that first Conan issue, I wanted to do an episode here about how Conan came to Marvel and just basically throw a bunch of information at you. Will this be the definitive Conan in comics history? No, no, not at all. If you know anything about me, you know that I am not a big fan of research. I'm just going to be presenting you with some information, just basically what I could find on a Sunday afternoon. So, yeah, buckle in. Into the boat! All right, so Conan's American comic debut, and I need to specify American here because his actual first comic book appearance was in a Mexican anthology comic that adapted Queen of the Black Coast. But his American comic debut was in Conan the Barbarian number one from Marvel Comics from July of 1970 under the creative team of writer Roy Thomas, artist Barry Windsor Smith, inker Dan Adkins, and letterer Sam Rosen. The story goes that fans were writing into Marvel Comics requesting that they do Tarzan, Doc Savage, John Carter of Mars, and even Lord of the Rings. 
So Roy Thomas, who was Marvel's associate editor at the time, talked to his boss, Stan Lee, the editor in chief, and tossed out the idea of going after some licensed properties, specifically Conan of Sumeria. Stan the Man, who wasn't a big Conan fan, told Thomas to send a memo to then-Marvel owner Martin Goodman and pitch the idea to him. And so Thomas did just that. Though, from the way I understand it, the memo wasn't specifically about getting Conan, just any licensed sword and sorcery type character. Anyway, Goodman agreed and told Thomas to get out there and offer $150 an issue for whichever licensed character they might be able to get. Thomas, figuring that $150 per issue wasn't going to be enough to get Conan, instead went after a similar barbarian character from writer Lynn Carter called Thongor. Besides, I guess Stan Lee liked the name Thongor way more than Conan, so Conan was out, Thongor was in. Fortunately for all of us, negotiations between Marvel and Lynn Carter's agent stalled, and Thomas decided to just go ahead and take a shot at Conan, offering the Howard estate $200 per issue, which, if you do the math, was $50 more than he was approved to offer. But Thomas figured that if the Howard estate accepted his offer, he could always write the book himself and then take a pay cut to make up for that $50 increase if he needed to. Now, we know, of course, that Marvel did get that Conan license, but if it was for $200 an issue and if Roy Thomas really did take a pay cut to make that all happen, I don't know. What I do know is that, according to Stan Lee, Roy Thomas was pretty much the guy that not only got Conan over to Marvel, but helped make the property such a success. In fact, it's widely believed that if it wasn't for Roy Thomas and Marvel Comics, Conan of Samaria would not be the pop culture icon he is today. Now, of course, some would say that no, it wasn't the comics. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger and the, the two movies that he made back in the 80s, Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. But I would argue, and I think most people agree, that it was the popularity of the comics that helped to inspire the movies to be made in the first place. So. Yeah, thank you, Roy Thomas. I suppose nothing hurts you. Only pain. Anyway, Thomas had originally approached John Buscema to pencil the comic, and Buscema, after reading a couple of the Conan paperbacks that Thomas had given him, was actually quite keen on the idea. Goodman, however, didn't want to pay Buscema's rates. After all, Marvel was taking a big gamble on Conan. No one knew if it would sell or not, and... Goodman didn't want to throw away too much money on what could wind up being a failure. I mean, this wasn't a superhero book, and that was, that was Marvel's bread and butter. And so Buscema was out in favor of a relatively new and, more importantly, cheap artist by the name of Barry Windsor Smith. However, before Thomas and Smith got to work on Conan, they put together a little warm-up tale called... The Sword and the Sorcerers, which was published in issue number four of the Marvel anthology comic, Chamber of Darkness. Do you know what horrors lie beyond that wall? No. Then you go first. The Sword and the Sorcerers featured a character called Star the Slayer, who, let's face it, he was pretty much Conan. 
In fact, if you take Star the Slayer from that issue of Chamber of Darkness and you stand him side to side with the Conan that appeared in the first, I don't know, six or so issues of Conan the Barbarian, they, they were the same guy. The only difference really was that Star's helmet with the horns on it and clothes, they, they, they were all green. That's really the only difference as far as the appearance. Plus, I think Star's hair may have been brown, where, of course, Conan's is black. Otherwise, yeah, same guy. Anyway, in Sword and the Sorcerers, we're introduced to a writer on present-day Earth named Len Carson. The backstory is that Carson had become very successful writing stories about this guy he would dream about, Star the Slayer, who was a barbarian king of a land called Zardath. As the Sword and the Sorcerers open, we're right in the middle of a battle between Star and some sort of man-dragon that's under the control of Star's arch-nemesis, the evil wizard Troll. As Star defeats the man-dragon and takes the fight to Troll, Lynn Carson suddenly wakes up on his couch in his apartment, and we learn that Star's battle against the man-dragon and the wizard Troll was all just a dream. and. It wasn't the first one. In fact, the entire idea behind Star and the plot of all of his adventures were dreams that Carson had. And as this latest one is evidence of, the dreams are now affecting Carson's sanity. And so right then and there, afraid that if the dreams continue, that he'll eventually go insane, Carson makes the decision to write a new Star the Slayer tale based on his most recent dream and then kill the Barbarian King off by the end of it. A few hours later, the story is complete, and Carson, on his way to turn in the manuscript, is confronted by Star the Slayer himself in a dark alley, where Star accuses the writer of being an assassin and an evil wizard, before then murdering Carson in order to preserve his own life. With Carson now dead, Star returns to his own world feeling that he had done battle with and defeated the greatest threat to his life he had ever encountered. That's uh that's pretty dark, isn't it? <laughs> it's actually I mean it actually feels more like something Stephen King might write, uh more than a Conan tale and what I actually liked most about it is the way that Roy Thomas portrays Carson as like kind of a big egotistical jerk so that we don't feel too bad when he's murdered, which that's always cracked me up. It's like, here's someone we're about to kill in a very brutal fashion, but he's a big jerk. So yeah, you should actually feel pretty good about that. <laughs> Here, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read you a bit of dialogue from the story that shows just what kind of a jerk Carson is. This is uh, uh, Carson calling the guy that runs the magazine that publishes his Star the Slayer stories to tell him that he's going to kill Star the Slayer. Hello, Whitney. Lynn Carson here. Yeah, I've dreamed up another Star the Slayer classic for that rag you call a magazine. But I just called to say that you won't like the ending because I'm going to kill off that sword-swinging slob. What do you mean I can't do that? I'm the author, baby. I can do anything I want to. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's Len Carson. Uh, I guess he had it coming. You'll kill him. Not me. It's bad luck to kill a wizard. Anyway, Chamber of Darkness number four was published in January of 1970. And 
Honestly, I have no idea how well or not well the issue sold or even what the reaction was to the character of Star the Slayer. So I don't know if the purpose behind the story was to gauge reader reaction or interest in a sword and sorcery Conan-like character, or if it was just there to give the creative team a chance to work together on something that was basically a Conan story just to see how it all came out. Frankly, I am more inclined to believe the latter over the former because with this issue of Chamber of Darkness publishing in January and then Conan publishing in July, based on the time it takes to create and publish a comic compared to how long it might take at the time to get reader feedback and sales numbers, I I just can't see Marvel using this story in the same way that a movie studio would use a test audience during the post-production process of movie making. Now, I feel like this was more about Thomas wanting to get a feel for what Barry Windsor Smith could do with a character like Conan before moving on to the actual Conan book. Now, if you, dear listener, know differently, please let me know, else at gmail.com. And I actually find it kind of interesting that, that if that is the case, that back at the time, you know, they, they had, for example, this anthology, Chamber of Darkness, and I'm sure they had other anthologies going on at the time, and they could use those to do stories like this, to kind of test out things, to test the waters. And they don't really have anything like that anymore. Uh, basically, what they have is if they want to give a creative team a chance, you know, on a, on a particular story, particular character, uh, a writer pitches an idea, whatever. It's typically like, all right, uh, we'll give you a four issue or six issue miniseries and we'll see how it does. If it does well, you can do more. And so I, I, I don't know. I just find that kind of interesting if that's if it really was about them kind of just seeing how the creative team would work together or or even if it was about testing the waters on a sword and sorcery Conan like character. I, I just I find it interesting that they had those venues, you know, a seven page short story that that they could they could do that with. Anyway, Conan the Barbarian hit the shelves in July of 1970 and ran for a total of 275 issues between 1970 and 1993, with Roy Thomas writing the first 115 issues, as well as the final 35, which is kind of interesting because from what I could find, he had only planned on writing maybe the first four, maybe the first six, but he just kind of got hooked on freaking Conan and he just kept going and uh, didn't stop for 115 issues. I need you. I'm yours. Barry Windsor Smith who was the artist on the first issue, he went on to do the first 16, uh, as well as issues 19 through 24, I think. I always second-guess myself when I state facts in a podcast episode, wondering if I wrote the information down correctly and worrying that I didn't and that I'll get a bunch of emails telling me that I'm stupid. Welcome to my brain, folks. Anyway, as the Conan the Barbarian book gained more readers, eventually becoming one of Marvel's most popular titles in the 70s, John Buscema was brought on board as penciler with issue number 25, and he stayed on penciling most of the issues through issue number 190, 
Conan was such a popular character for Marvel that by 1974, the character got his own black and white magazine comic called The Savage Sword of Conan. This magazine ran for 235 issues from 1974 to 1995, and it featured Conan tales that were a little more adult because by using that magazine format, Marvel didn't have to abide by the rules of the Comic Code Authority. Marvel Conan stories were also adapted as a newspaper comic strip, which appeared daily and Sunday from September 4th, 1978 to April 12th, 1981. Conan also appeared in five issues of the black and white anthology magazine comic Savage Tales from 1971 to 1975. Uh, as well as five issues of giant-sized Conan from 1974 to 1975. There were also 55 issues of King Conan, the title of which changed to Conan the King by issue number 20, and that ran from 1980 to 1989. Uh, There were also 14 issues of Conan the Adventurer from 94 to 95, and 10 issues of Conan the Savage, from 95 to 96. Also from 95 to 96, Marvel published 11 issues of a comic just called Conan, three issues of a relaunched Conan the Barbarian in 1997, and then from 97 to the year 2000, Marvel published various three-issue minis, Conan the Barbarian, the Usurper, Conan, the Lord of the Spiders, Conan, River of Blood, Conan Return of Sturm, Conan Scarlet Sword, Conan Death Covered in Gold, and finally, Conan Flame and the Fiend. The Conan license then went to Dark Horse Comics from 2003 to 2018 before going back to Marvel in 2019. And now, here in 2023, the Conan license is with Titan Comics with the first issue slated to drop in July. That is, I mean, if you don't count the free comic book day issue that lands on, well, (laughs) free comic book day, which is May the 10th. Then, of course, there are also the various limited series comics published over the last few years from Ablaze Comics under the title The Sumerian. I mean, good Lord, there are a crap ton of Conan comic books out there. And we haven't even talked about what might be published outside of the U.S. because, frankly, I didn't have the energy to look that up. Now, with all that said, the question is, how far will I get reading the Conan comics starting with issue number one? Well, considering that there are over 800 Conan comic book issues published by Marvel alone, not to mention the Dark Horse issues and all that other stuff, You know, I can't really answer that question. I know that along with the episode in which I'm going to be talking about the original Robert E. Howard stories and how the various comic book adaptations to each story compare to the original, I am going to start, like I said, with Conan the Barbarian number one and just start reading and recording episodes. I would like to eventually incorporate the Dark Horse books in as well because uh, God knows that if I wait till I'm done with the Marvel issues first, I'm going to be freaking dead before I get to the Dark Horse stuff. But for now, I'm just going to focus on the Marvel books, beginning with that first issue from 1970. 
Oh, and I do plan on doing an episode on the first Titan issue in July and probably the free comic book day issue as well. I'll probably do those together. And depending how they make me feel, I will probably continue with episodes for each subsequent issue. And frankly, just looking at the recent preview of the comic issue number one, written by Jim Zub with artwork by Roberto De La Torre and Jose Villarubia, it looks gorgeous. I am super excited about that one. Until then, yeah, this was just a bit of history behind the Conan comics and a little on what I have planned for the future of this podcast. That being said, I don't want to commit to a release schedule at this point because I'm a pretty busy dude. And uh, frankly, I don't have the episode for Tower of the Elephant even put together yet. So not really sure when that one is going to release. What I do know and what I can tell you is that the next episode of Hither Came Conan, the next one you're going to get from me will be the one in which I talk about Conan the Barbarian issue number one, the issue that started it all back in July of 1970. So yeah, be sure to join me back here for that one. Until then, folks. Uh... Crush your enemies. See them driven before you. They hear the lamentation of the women. Bye. Hither Came Conan is a Stephen or Else production. Find more podcasts at stephenorelse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to stephenorelse at gmail.com. Find me online at Twitter, Spoutable, and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. And join my newsletter, Stephen Says Stuff, at list.justanotherfanboy.com. This is a free substack where I will send every single podcast episode I host right to your inbox the morning that they are released. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to give you and your fellow patrons podcast episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate this show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Did Conan fight? Honor and fear were heaped upon his name. In time, he became a king by his own hand. This story shall also be told. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.